You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What's going on, everybody? John Pemba here with Andrew Cooper. This is the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast here. Episode 13, and Coop, we are quickly, quickly approaching uh, the start of the NFL season. We're about two weeks out, uh, and this past week has been pretty wild uh, when it comes to movement and ADPs. We just have some injuries. We've had some teams make some maybe surprising quarterback announcements. Of course, you and I being Patriots fans, we've been watching the Mac Jones-Cam Newton situation across the, the last couple of days here with Newton uh, violating a COVID policy. Uh, Mac Jones looking good during the week and maybe opening himself up uh, to winning that job, which is something we'll have to watch and find out because all of this ends up impacting uh, the fantasy football landscape. Uh, before we dive into uh, what has been the week so far, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, man. I mean, it's odd for me, the Cam Newton stuff, right? Because I, you know, I am rooting for Cam Newton. He's the nicest dude ever. It'd be a lot easier to root against him if he would stop saying nice things about his teammates and like, you know, giving every ball to a kid in the stands. You know what yeah, I mean? And then he so. like subtweets them, you know, like he's he's very nice. And then all of a sudden he's on Instagram being like loyalty means everything. You know, like and they're like, what is that about? Cam is like nothing. Sometimes I just feel like saying things. It's like, sure, mm-hmm. sure. I think he's he's sending veiled messages, but I mean, he's a leader. So, uh, you know, it'd be easier if I could just put him aside and root for Mac, especially with Mac. What was it like 22 of? 23 or something trades today two touchdowns i know it's the giants but i mean he looked good supposedly so um uh, you know uh, not, yeah not only did he look good he completed 14 straight passes at one point in time i think he was like 30 something of 40 with you know a couple of touchdowns against the giants number one defense today so i mean uh a lot of people are are been you know twitter timeline again we're recording here on a wednesday uh timelines full of pro mac jones news uh, some beat reporters saying like this sealed the deal that Jones would be the starter. We'll find out. We'll wait and see. Obviously, still a preseason game to be played again a couple of weeks out. Um, you know, so that's our that's our homerisms, right? We've been doing the Homer Corner Homer Corner series over at Fantasy Alarm. Let you me know? add let me add one last thing on that, which is that I personally have stake in one of the biggest leagues out there in in Mac Jones. And in two ways, essentially, because I have not only have Mac Jones in the Scott Fishbowl, but I also took James White. And we know that mobile quarterbacks are not as prone to throwing the ball to the back of the backfield. Mac Jones couldn't be any less mobile. So for me, you know, if he is the starter, that's a huge in two ways for me, you know. But again, as a Patriots fan, I like to just sit back and let it happen rather than speculate. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll we'll be we'll be able to give ourselves uh, some better analysis. Hopefully, this decision comes before all of our drafts. Right, it's upcoming weekend. Uh, it's like National Draft Weekend, and of course, we're uh, a couple of weeks away till the actual kickoff, September 9th there on a Thursday. Uh, be able to have some clarity before being able to get in our final drafts. Of course, uh, would be fantastic. But we do have some clarity on other situations. Uh, Travis ATN, somebody that I have. Uh, kind of railed against given where his ADP had been going, you know, in the fourth round, even though there's been a lot of talk that James Robinson was still going to be the lead back. They drafted Travis Etienne. We talked about it on prior podcasts, um, you know, that they wanted to, Urban Meyer wanted to use him in a variety of different variations, using him as a receiver, uh, as a running back, kind of getting him and spreading him out. But then he goes and suffers a Liz Frank foot injury, going to be out for the season now. And we've seen James Robinson's ADP go from round eight 
to over the last 24 hours, again, recording here on a Wednesday, he's now a third round running back in underdog best ball. And I imagine the same would probably go uh, for redraft leagues as well. The, the ADP difference is just, um, you know, drastic changes there. You know, where are you now following this injury on your feelings of James Robinson? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Liz Frank injury, it's such a unique injury in that sometimes it's a sprain, sometimes it requires surgery, and sometimes when you get that surgery and you have the screw in your foot, you can play with the screw in your foot, or you basically rest and wait it out, right? So Marquise Brown is a rookie. He played with the screw in his foot. Uh, Famously, Julio Jones did that in 2013, and he actually snapped the screw that was in his foot like an animal, just by playing football, you know, uh, Evan Ingram, on the other hand, he had it early enough last year where he was able to come back, get the screw out, get everything together and play the full season. So it sounds like with Travis there, they just decided, you know what, we're going the full easy route. We're going to what the full route for rehab long term answer where they're going to do the surgery with the screws once it heals, take them out and then let it heal again. That's why he misses the whole season. Not everyone does miss the season with this injury, but based on everything they're telling us, that's what's going on. They're playing me, the long game there with, uh, with ATM. Yeah. Which is smart when you have, you know, you you know you're not going to win this year, and you have, uh, you know, a rookie back that you want to have a long career, and, you know, that's the best way to handle it in that situation. With James Robinson, for me, now he falls into that same tier where I have other guys that I believe are going to be three down backs, and the question is, you know, what their role is and how good the team's going to be. So you and I like Chris Carson, right? Are you personally willing to take James Robinson over Chris Carson? Uh, I'm not. I still believe in the offense. And, you know, we're talking about scoring touchdowns and scoring points. You know, Chris Carson's going to be a guy that's going to be put in position to score more often than James Robinson's going to be. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat because I think that, uh, you know, my opinion is that James Robinson now gets a much bigger role. But I think that in the offense that Urban Meyer wants to run, he's going to have that joker guy no matter who it is. You know what I mean? So Travis Etienne was going to be that role. Now maybe uh, LaVisca Chenault plays a little more of that kind of joker backfield type role. He's going to find somebody to do that. But I think James Robinson does now fall into that kind of three down back territory. But like like you said, Chris Carson's got to go come first for me. David Montgomery, I'm probably also uh, going to take ahead of him, even with Tariq Cohen. I feel Cohen, like I'm I, higher on David Montgomery than the consensus. I'm not going to say like I'm the only one drafting David Montgomery, but it you know where he's going in drafts, given the role that he had, given that Tariq Cohen is not a hundred percent, and yeah, they brought in Damian Williams, and you know Williams during camp has looked good. He's kind of filled in as that third down change of pace back, but. We saw that David Montgomery can be the bell cow. They talked about they want David Montgomery to get 20-plus touches. It feels like this should be a guy that's going in the second round of drafts, and you're getting him at the end of third. You mm-hmm. know, So, I mean, yeah, I'm with you there. I'd much rather have Montgomery Carson over a guy like Robinson, even if you know there's some questions about the Bears' offense there. Yeah, so now this is where it gets kind of interesting is when you get down into um, you know the next, the next kind of tier of guys that – supposedly have a full down role uh, like what about mike davis are you going this mike is davis the rb dead zone uh right. right now on fantasy football twitter yeah it's like mike so like you and i we already kind of hashed out that with malcolm brown emerging we're kind of shying away from miles gaskin so i think we will probably both agree james robinson right now over miles gaskin you think yep 100 james robinson over miles gaskin yeah and we'll we'll get to the ram situation he's that's another guy that's in the mix uh but we'll talk about that next but um, so, I mean, Mike Davis, Mike Davis or James Robinson, 
because this these are the the thing is it's you know it's so easy to talk hypotheticals but once you get on the clock this is what it looks like you know so what i mean it's, i want to go robinson here because i've seen it right we've never seen mike davis be able to carry a full workload as an every down running back in this league and i'm not really as worried about james robinson being a lead back for a bad team because he was a lead back for the worst team in football last season over a thousand yards he still had the seven touchdowns he had 49 catches, you know, so like he, he's a three down back, like you said, and we've struggled to see uh, Mike Davis be a guy that can carry the ball consistently. So I'm going to go James Robinson over Mike Davis. Yeah, it's interesting. They uh, they did cut JV and Hawkins, um, who somebody some people had as a threat to be part of the like performance so much, man, you know, right. I mean, crazy how it goes. And James Robinson, you know, it's like last year it was Leonard Fournette him and Reichwell Armstead and then Leonard Fournette got released and Reichwell Armstead got COVID ended up actually being out of the league because of it. It's like James Robinson lucked into the role that way. And then this year he's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, now, what about some of the split backs? Are you taking James Robinson ahead of, uh, would you take any of the following guys ahead of James Robinson? Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Um, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't even do you do you think there's really going to be a split? Do you think we're looking at a Chubb Hunt type split with Jacobs and Drake? How do you how do you see that working out? I honestly, that's that is exactly what I see where I think that should like Chubb, like the Browns are so run heavy that Chubb can get 250 carries or so, which he was on pace for last year. And Kareem Hunt can also get like 150. You look at some of these teams, the Ravens ran the ball over 500 times. The Patriots ran the ball over 500 times. Even the worst teams in the league, I think the very bottom team in the league ran the ball over 300 times. You know, so if that team does what they want, which Kevin Stefanski wants to run, he uses not only a ton of two tight end sets, but he used the most three tight end sets in the league. Uh, I think that both those players can get a ton of carries. With the Raiders, they just traded away their center inexplicably to the um, the Cardinals. They, you know, I'm not sure they can maintain that volume of running, but I do think it's going to be that type of split where the percentages are there, but the volume might not be there for both guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but for me, I'm going to, I'm going to go Robinson overall that group. I have no, I have no Jacobs and I, and I, I find myself in, in, in drafts looking at him sometimes like, should I like if when they're in the lead, they just grind him down. They give him the football and let him run. And he does have that end zone potential, but he's so boring. <laughs> so like, I just, I just don't have any, any shares of him. I'll take the three down back there with Robinson. I agree. Yeah. And let me just throw a couple last ones at you just to see if, you know, anything piques your interest, James Robinson over Deandre Swift or Miles Sanders. Oof, man, that hits me hard because I'm, I'm a big Miles Sanders fan. The guy's average over five yards of carry basically for his two seasons. I know he's been having trouble catching the football, and they have gained well in Scott there. But they came out and said that Jordan Howard is the number two running back. It's not Scott. So it's Scott and Gainwell are fighting for that third down role. And Jordan Howard sucks. So, like, mm. I feel like if we're going to get early, all the early down work going Sanders and there's still some capability of him catching the football – uh, the answer is probably Robinson, but my heart's leading me towards Miles Sanders. Yeah, I'm still taking Miles Sanders first. I mean, he had some, you know, he led the led all running backs and drops. 22% of his passes were dropped. He dropped a really bad pass in the end zone. But, I mean, they continued to throw him the ball. It's The thing about fumbles and drops, they only matter if 
they stop throwing you the ball. Jimmy Graham dropped 15 passes from Drew Brees. Uh, George Kittle dropped eight passes in eight games last year. We don't expect those players to not continue to get passes because they're, you know, they're elite and the coaches aren't going to go away from them. I mean, Chris Carson fumbled like five times in three games or whatever it was, that crazy span there. And Pete, Pete Carroll didn't go away from him. So it only matters if the coaches care. And in this case with Miles Sanders, I don't think they care, especially if they're telling us that Howard's the second guy on the depth chart. So I'm still taking Miles Sanders ahead. Swift in a full PPR league, I'll take Swift. Uh, if it's, Talk about an ADP mover on Swift. Now, obviously, you wrote that takedown article of him basically this, as soon as the season started. Got a lot of flack there. But at that time, he was going at the end of second rounds, and now his ADP has seen him in the fourth round. Uh, he, he was going to RB12. That's yeah. where he was, yeah, People at the time. were all in on DeAndre Swift, and then they realized, probably after reading your article, oh, yeah, the Lions are going to suck, and they have Jamal Williams here. Maybe hmm. DeAndre Swift isn't the guy, and now there's reports he might not even be ready for week one or fully healthy for week one. He's dealing with an injury that obviously nagged him a little bit last year. So uh, the Swift ADP falling, and I don't have any shares of him. So Robinson first over Swift, even though, again, Swift super dynamic. I just don't like the situation. Right. I love that people on like Reddit and Twitter calling me haters. When I own Swift in two dynasty leagues, I'm not trading him because I think he's a talented player. So it's like, you can't tell me that I just don't like the player. I do like the player. But the situation is that that team is actively trying to come in last place. They did the exact same thing that the Dolphins did in 2019, you know, traded their quarterback, fired their coach. They're carrying the most dead cap of any team there. And even then they're moving over a ton of money to, to next year. They have the least active spending. They let five veterans leave and the max comp picks is four. And then they used the one spot they could, they could to bring in a free agent from outside and pay him, you know, guaranteed money for two years, which would cancel a comp pick on Jamal Williams. So when I look at all those things in place, they're essentially punting on the year. Uh, they're, you know, going to have active pseudo tryouts throughout the season. I think they continue to try to win because that's what teams do. Like the GM's job is to tank. The coach's job is to get people ready to play and win games. But for me, like the situation scares me and any sort of standard or half PPR where you really need to rely on touchdowns. I'm not doing it in full PPR. I'll consider it. Right. Um, other running back situations that got a little bit murkier today. Um, again, recording here on a Wednesday, something again that you wrote about, uh, and basically once the Cam Akers injury happened, I think you and I even exchanged texts quickly and it was a very popular opinion. Um, but Sony Michelle going to the Rams and you had it in your Cam Akers injury fallout article. We immediately texted back and forth about it. Um, and that trade finally happened today. Um, now this is coming off of last week when uh, Henderson actually injured his thumb. Supposedly it's not a huge deal, but I think maybe that sort of made the made the Rams look at their running back depth and they're like, ooh, after Henderson we have Xavier Jones and Jake Funk. Maybe we should be looking for a more established backup. They went out and traded today Sony Michelle. They gave a fifth and a sixth round pick it could turn into a fourth if the Rams get a fourth round comp, uh, comp pick which is supposedly likely going to happen but with Sonny Michelle now moving to the Rams Adam Schefter believes Michelle is going to be their lead running back this season um, how do you see this breaking down now yeah I mean super interesting it is funny that I was I was already writing the article and basically 
I was thinking in the back of my mind, you got to put Michelle in here when I got that text from you where you were like, trade the Michelle, you know? And I think it, it makes, it's such a Belichick brand move, right? I mean, we've seen it multiple times now with guys like, um, you know, um, Richard Seymour, Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins, like they taught, they engage in negotiations for a contract. And then as soon as it's, you know, they're not going to extend them. He goes out and says, what can I get for this player? You know, with some guys, you know, if you, if you think they're going to get signed to a contract where you get a comp bet, a comp pick back, then you just play out the season and let them go. But with Michelle, you probably weren't. So you turn around and just grab two picks for him in exchange. Uh, I'm interested to see what this thumb injury is. If there's no surgery, then I'm not concerned about it. And I think that when they say Michelle's the starter, I think it's going to be that they uh, do something similar to what the Patriots do, where Michelle was the early down back. James White was the third down back. The, the one thing that is super interesting to note is that the Patriots don't throw the ball to Michelle. The most passes he's caught in a season was 12. In the preseason game the other day, he caught four passes. And I wonder if the conversation was had about this trade and, you know, McVay and Les Snead said, we want to see him catch the ball in a game situation. And Belichick went out and, you know, and showcased. Yeah. Blew right. up our whole theory that he was the next Rex Burkhead, but whatever. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, hey, he could have been. It could have been a situation like that. I think he already was poised for that. But uh, either way, you know, it it muddies that backfield. The Patriots' backfield was already muddied. So you know, people talk about clarity there. I don't think there's any more clarity than there was. Or things were already clear. Damian Harris is the early down back. James White is the pass down right. back, and and now it's just Ramondre Stevenson is the next guy up instead of Sonny Michelle. So. Um, yeah, and, and and that falls more in line to what you've always said as well, where like the the Patriots don't use versatile running backs, right? Like Ramondre Stevenson isn't going to be a pass catching running back. He's there to strictly handcuff Damian Harris as the early down back. And JJ Taylor, assuming he makes the team, which I imagine he would, he made it last year, would be the James White direct handcuff um, there. So you know, it, you know, it's a it's a mess because it is a New England backfield, but I think Harris has a pretty firm grasp on this job, even though, you know, Ramondre Stevenson looks great running all over third string defenses uh, in the preseason. I'm sure he'll get some work, but I, I think this is a Damian Harris, um, Damian Harris back. So now let me ask you though, you know, obviously Henderson was going around round four, round five in drafts. He's going to drop, you know, I imagine probably into that round eight, round nine area, um, you know, and Tony Michelle, who's been going undrafted, is probably going to find himself bumping up, you know, what do you think around, around 10, 11, 12, like where do you see them probably heading now? You know, I actually just took him in a draft. Um, are we talking about for both guys or just for, uh, yeah, I want to know where do you, how do you think this plays out? And I've seen different rankings today as well, where people are ranking Michelle ahead of Daryl Henderson in their, in their RB rankings, which, you know, maybe that means that, that Michelle goes earlier, but I'm curious to where you think he's going to land. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm taking Daryl Henderson in the head still because I don't trust Sonny Michelle to catch the requisite passes that we need to see. It's not uh, only that, but Michelle's also injury prone, right? right. So to, to me, that's also that's been the biggest thing for everybody who is talking about now having to fade Henderson. I I'm more I'm equally as interested as Henderson as I was before, and now you're getting him at a four or five round discount. Yeah, not to mention, I tweeted this stat, stat out earlier for the people that don't think that, you know, receptions matter. The people that are drafting Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb and, uh, you know, of course, we like Nick Chubb, but Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, 
Josh Jacobs, Sony Michelle, Damon Harris, and they say, who cares about receptions? If they run at a crazy elite level, then that works. But here's an example I tweeted out. In 2018, Derrick Henry had 1,158 yards and 12 touchdowns. So 1,158 yards from scrimmage total and 12 touchdowns. James White had 1,176 yards and 12 touchdowns. So 20-yard difference in yards from scrimmage and the same number of touchdowns. In half PPR, not even full, James White was RB8 and Derrick Henry was RB14. And the only difference there was receptions. So that's that's the real difference maker is that these and if you look at full PPR, James White was RB7 and Derrick Henry was RB16. And we're talking 20 yards, not even 20 yards difference. It's all in those formats. The receptions are the points. So if, you know, the vast majority of us play half PPR and standard, you have to be aware of that when you're drafting guys like Sona Michelle. You have to hope that what's happening with Michelle is it was the Patriots system that was the problem. And now that he's with a new system, he's going to be catching passes. The ideal situation for Michelle is it's just, you know, he's the starter catching and he catches balls too. And, uh, Darrell Henderson mixes in and he also catches balls. And it's kind of like a, you know, could, I could see it as like a Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, if it's an even split, or there's a possibility that it could be like an Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, where, you know, one guy is kind of the horse and the other guy comes in for third downs. Uh, you know, there is upside there for Michelle, but the real, you know, what I think happens is Darrell Henderson is the starter and Michelle is the guy that mixes it up. And Henderson's the guy that comes in for pass plays. So, uh, you know, it, it becomes a tricky area where I'm probably not uh, too excited about drafting either at this point, you know. Yeah, I did see an interesting tweet today that I thought, you know, was kind of, a, you know, anecdotal, I guess, where it's, you know, the, the Rams draft Daryl Henderson has a tough rookie season. They then go and spend an early round draft capital on Cam Akers. He gets hurt and then it puts, it puts Henderson in a situation again to be the lead back. And then they go out and they make a trade for Sony Michelle. So it's like, you know, how much do the Rams even believe in Daryl Henderson if they're constantly looking for guys to play ahead of him almost, right? So, um, you know, fantasy owners should probably uh, take that into consideration. Um, Coop, you wrote an article uh, again uh, that got released this morning, again, recording here on a Wednesday, um, about Adam Trotman. You know, he suffered an injury during the preseason game. Um, you know, he was somebody that you had in your yin yang tight end article, but. You know, one of the things we talk about when it comes to preseason games, where you find value is understanding how a team is using this player. Uh, and you had slowly begun to sour on Adam Trotman, given his usage. The injury just solidified things for you here. Yeah, I mean, we here at Fantasy Alarm, we are scientists. You know what I mean? We don't get take lock with these guys. I mean, maybe Evan Ingram to a certain degree, if I'm being honest. But for the say? most part, like banky, so. I know, but I know. But I truly the thing is, I truly believe in Ingram as a player. The science behind it makes sense. Right. So with Adam Trotman, we went in with a hypothesis. Right. The, the uh, Jared Cook role in that offense is a good one. He was top four in all of the following things. He was top four in uh, wide receiver snaps as a tight end. He was top four in slot snaps as a tight end. He was top four in uh, pass blocking in, ter- in the fact that he only pass blocked on 1.18% of his snaps. And the other category, uh, I totally forgot. But there's another. So he's essentially the um, his role 
is a, a great one for fantasy football. If you were to take Adam Trotman and slide him into that role, you know, where we've seen his production in college, where he was a, uh, you know, a super productive player at, at Dayton, then all of a sudden now you have Adam Trotman, who could be a top two target on the team. Right. So that was the hypothesis. And at the time of writing that article, that's all we had. There were no games. There was no nothing going on. When the first preseason game came around, Adam Trotman blocked on, you know, three of his six pass plays and he only played nine pass snaps. Right. So right away I was like, that's a red flag. Last year, Jared Cook only blocked on four pass plays the entire season. Adam Trotman just blocked on three of his 13 plays that he played. Right. So fast forward to this week. Before the Trotman injury, forget the injury. I don't even care about the injury. Trotman blocked on two pass plays out of seven total snaps. Two of two of his four pass plays he blocked on. That tells me that he's playing more of the Josh Hill role, right? Fast forward to Juwan Johnson, and it turns out he's blocking on under 4% of his pass plays. He played 40-something snaps. Uh, 38 of them were pass plays. He's in that role where he's playing in the slot. He's running those routes. That's what you want to see. He's a converted wide receiver now playing tight end. The only thing that we're missing is that there are certain platforms where he's still a wide receiver. He's not tight end eligible. So that's what you need to be careful of. And that's why the yin-yang tight end strategy really comes in is you take him as your yang, but you have to also draft a safe tight end to start for the first couple of weeks, hoping that he becomes this year's Darren Waller, you know, coming over and, and converting from wide receiver to tight end. But there's a full article on there on Fantasy Alarm. I'm not going to regurgitate all the stat, stats. I don't even know them off the top of my head. But if you go and check it out, everything is there that you need to see. And I think that when you read this, it becomes pretty crystal clear at this point that you just don't want any part of Adam Trotman, especially in redraft. Maybe Dynasty, hang on to him if you have enough spots. But you know, that's that's what the science shows us, you know, John? Yeah, no, that's what that's what it's about. And like I said, I when I, when I tweeted the other day, uh, you've uh, taught me to look at the tight end position and depth charts in general more differently than uh, I would have ever thought to before, uh, before you started writing all these great articles over on Fantasy Lounge. So definitely go uh, check those out. Uh, more uh, news that kind of came out today. One, we should have seen coming. Uh, Trevor Lawrence named the starting quarterback here for Jacksonville. Urban Meyer, for whatever reason, uh, was kind of putting up this, hey, it's a competition, Gardner Minshew's still in it, blah, 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 blah. It's not so much that I think this is a surprise, but I, I want to go back a little bit to the Travis Etienne injury and how it's now going to uh, impact the receiving group here. More importantly, I want to know what you think of LaVisca Chenault now at this point, because you know, Chenault was somebody that I think was taking the most – uh, the biggest hit potentially outside of Robinson when it came to value and drafts, uh, because it seemed like they wanted to use ATN in the same role that they already had Schnault in there, you know, using it as sort of a gadgety player, somebody that can split out, somebody that can line up in the backfield, go in the slot. Like they had a lot of different ways to maneuver to get uh, Schnault around in this offense last year. They drafted ATN and it sounded like a repeat player. Um, where are you with, you know, what's your expectations for Lawrence? Is he somebody that you're looking to draft now that you know that he has the starting job? And and what are you looking at with these receivers? You know, because uh, Chark obviously is there. He's the first receiver to go for this group. Um, Chenault is going after them. And then I tweeted out the other day, Marvin Jones going off at wide receiver 54 right now. Um, and I, I think Jones, may, maybe it could be better than Chark, truthfully. Um, you know, given Chark's history and inconsistencies, you know, what's your take on the receiving group and Lawrence's quarterback? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head regarding uh, Travis uh, Etienne. Like, people don't recognize, uh, the best example would be the Ravens, that when you use 21 personnel, which is two running backs on the field, when you use 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field, you know, when you use a fullback, every time one of those odd extra players comes in, one of the three wide receivers comes out. You know, so you want things to be like the Bengals, where it's just the same three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end, you know, 11 personnel, easy peasy. The Cowboys, for the most part, do that. We'll see what happens this year with two tight ends. But that's what you want to see. And with two running backs that were going to be on the field in different roles, there was always the threat that those three wide receivers weren't going to all be on the field at the same time. Now we likely get to see that, which, you know, is great for all, you know, at least for the bottom guys value, which we thought was Chenault. Um, with DJ Chark, there's some concern that the uh, the coach, Herb Meyer, essentially was very public about saying that he thought that uh, Chark was not playing to his, his size. He was playing small, even though he's a big player, challenged him to bulk up. He's kind of now said that he thinks that Chark, um, Chark, made good on that, that he, he bulked up and that he's looking good. But, uh, you know, they brought in Marvin Jones for a reason. And, you know, one of the things that you and I always talk about is that if it's a new coach and a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator, the chips are in the air. So, you know, if Chark's the first one going off the board, I'm not necessarily excited to reach for him because the people that did that with, uh, the Panthers and a new coach and a new quarterback and reached for DJ Moore, they kind of bit the bullet a little bit while the people that waited and took Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel really made hay with, you know, guys that were going wide receiver 60, wide right. receiver 64, which is where Marvin Jones is going. So I think you you kind of alluded to that situation where Marvin Jones now, you never know which of these guys is going to be the top guy. Marvin Jones could be the steal of the draft if he's the leading re- receiver on Urban Meyer's Jaguars, you know? Right. It almost feels as if they brought in Jones truthfully to mentor DJ Chark, right? Like be that guy for him. Uh, but then you've looked during the preseason – uh, while Chark's been, you know, out dealing with some some injury issues, and Jones has looked really good. He's connected with with uh, Trevor Lawrence there. Um, and then I said, mentioned, you know, yeah, I'm Chenault. I got him the other day in round seven or eight. Um, you know, and he's a guy that I was very high on Lavisca Chenault coming into this year. And then the ATN draft pick happened, and I kind of winded down on him. But his versatility and just explosiveness. Now we, you know, last year, Coop, we talked about it. You know, when he was playing at Colorado, like he was, a, he was a freak out there. Like he was making huge plays. Again, smaller conference, so it's you know not necessarily the top tier town. Still a D1 school, D1 division, and all that. But you know, he was out there and he was just you know outplaying a lot of these guys. And he was a you know high draft pick, uh, you know high draft capital pick for the Jaguars for a reason. We saw some of that towards the end of last year when they finally started featuring him a little bit more. So. Um, I'm I'm pretty high on Chenault, and I, and I definitely like where Jones is going right now. Where are you with um with Trevor Lawrence? Is he anybody that's on your radar? I mean, I just want to say real quick with that. With uh, if you look at the highlights of Lavishka Chenault at Colorado State, he is vicious. He was violent. Like it reminds me a bit of uh, Debo Samuel, where like he gets the ball and he is looking for people to hit. You know, like there was one play where from his highlight reel where he catches a pass and he takes a helmet to helmet hit in stride. So he's looking at the QB. He gets hit helmet to helmet and the other dude falls on his back and Chenault brushes it off and runs for another 15 yards and with the flags like in the air. It's impressive the aggressiveness that he plays with, Um, you know, with Trevor Lawrence. 
He's one of the guys that I take because there's so many quarterbacks that I like. He's one of the guys that I take when I'm when my uh, back is in the corner, which is at this point, there's a tier of guys where when the guys I really like go, I take them in this order. I take Ryan Tannehill, Joe Burrow, or Trevor Lawrence. So essentially this is, you know, the top tiers with all the Dak Prescott's are gone. The next tier of like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford are gone. This is where, like, I know that the red light's blinking and I need to get somebody before it gets really ugly. So Lawrence for me is in that tier. I'm I'm not one of the people that is, you know, reaching for him like crazy because there's almost no need to. You know, that's that's my take. I don't know. What are your thoughts? You're the the QB guy, right? Yeah. So I I actually I do have one share of him so far in best ball. Now that it's solid, not that I was worried, but like I wasn't really investing in these quarterbacks that didn't have the job. You know, because you just never know how coaches are going to go when it comes with a veteran that's ahead of them. You know, I, I know that at some point Fields and, and Lance are probably going to start. But, I, you know, until they get that job, I don't I didn't want to have too much exposure. So I, I do have one share of Lawrence. Um, I don't know if I'll be really increasing that at all. Again, a bad team, not expected to win many games. Generally, rookie quarterbacks are not very good. Justin Herbert's like the exception to that rule. So. I'm not going to go out there and expect them all to go out and perform like that. So I'm out there again. I'm more target looking at the receivers in this group, uh, mostly Jones and uh, Chenault. Uh, another quarterback situation that got resolved today, Coop, and I think it was a, a disappointment for me. I want to get your take on it. Uh, Broncos announced that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starter over Drew Locke. I tweeted out, um, you know, last week, I think it was, or a week before that, with Locke connected with Hamler uh, for that huge touchdown. Like, this is who you want as a fantasy player at quarterback is the big play upside with the arm of Drew Locke. Instead, you're getting the intermediate dump-off quarterback play of, of Teddy Bridgewater. Now people are quick to point out. Last year, two 1,000-yard receivers on Carolina and more. And Anderson and Curtis Samuel had 850 yards as well. But he doesn't excite me. What is your take here on the quarterback situation and how it's going to impact that offense? Yeah, I mean, so I wrote that whole article last year, the, you know, the case of DJ Moore, where I broke down where, what quadrants of the field uh, Teddy Bridgewater throws to. It's pretty obvious that he does not want to take a lot of chances. And it seems pretty obvious that the Broncos kind of like that. And they think they can trust in their defense and just have a quarterback that doesn't lose them games. Uh, You know, when you think about it, it's going to be Corlin Sutton that takes the hit. You know, KJ Hamler is now a ghost person. You know, like you can't even think about KJ Hamler. And anyone that was investing in Jerry Judy, possibly Noah Fant as well, now comes out smelling like roses because I think that, you know, Sutton is going to be in that DJ Moore role where he's pushing, pushing down the field a bit, trying to, you know, set them up for big posts and big screens. And Teddy just, he does not do that. And if they are talking to him about the situation and saying, hey, we brought you in here to not turn the ball over and take care of the ball, that's only going to reinforce that and make it kind of worse. You know what I mean? So right. it could be a situation where, like I was saying that you don't want Noah Fant because he's going to be the third target on the team behind Sutton and Judy. But now, I mean, there's a world <laughs> where he's, he might you know, not, he might be number two, you know, he might be, he might be number one. You true, know what I mean? True, so, yeah. We'll see. Uh, so, you know, I'm pro- I'm not, you know, if you already drafted Teddy Bridgewater in two QB leagues or Superflex leagues, then congratulations because you've got him at a crazy value and you've got a starting quarterback, which in those leagues, that's, you know, 
jackpot, right? Right. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think that they're going to – I think what they're, what they're thinking is we'll try and win these games with our, you know, a, the safest possible quarterback in our defense. And if we need to – if our backs are against the ropes and we need to start throwing, uh, you know, haymakers, we'll put Locke in there and just say, you know what? Let it fly. So I think that's I mean, what they, uh, Yeah, you know, they made that investment in Javante Williams as well this year. Uh, you know, so a, a game manager quarterback uh, in an offense that is looking poised to run the football a lot as well with, with Williams and Melvin Gordon as part of that mix. Um, you know, I, I think that could definitely be a, a, a way they're going to look to play. I still like Jerry Judy again, you know, Bridgewater for his flaws of throwing downfield. You know, this feels like a good spot for Judy to get some of that underneath and intermediate work, much like we saw Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson be the intermediate guy last year. And it's more of those going deep. I think we'll see that with Judy this year. You mentioned a fan as well, but you know, they also threw the running back. He threw to the running back a ton. Now that's maybe part of the Carolina game plan because they had CMC. So they threw to Mike Davis a lot, but you know, Williams is actually looking like a capable pass catcher so far in the preseason. And we know that Melvin Gordon can catch the football. So maybe both running backs will now get a little bit of an, a boost by, you know, check down Teddy being there as the quarterback also. Yeah. I mean, it's that situation where now Javante Williams is also catching passes. It, it scares me because you think about the nightmare situation that the bills have where they don't quite have one running down guy and don't quite have one passing down guy. They kind of just do a 50, 50 nightmare split that would kind of be the worst case scenario for anyone drafting either Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon. I guess you'd be, it would be good for Melvin Gordon since he's going so much later. But I mean, you hate that situation where you don't know who's going to score. You, if, if you look at Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, besides the, I mean, the way you would have had to win if you had those two guys was basically start Singletary, then pivot to Moss. Then when Moss got hurt, pivot back to Singletary then pivot to Moss and then start Singletary for your championship week where Moss just out of nowhere, they just didn't use him and there wasn't an injury. It was just Singletary was the hot hand all of a sudden. And it was like those situations are the ones that drive fantasy owners nuts because, you know, God forbid you draft both players, you drafted both players in dynasty trying to pick who to start. Uh, so I, I much rather when there's one rundown and one pass down guy like the Patriots have, or, there's just one starter and one backup, you know, and in the modern world, that's just not how it works. And NFL coaches really don't care about your fantasy team at all. So unfortunately we have to uh, do our best to try and figure that out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that kind of wraps up the, the camp news so far. Again, we got one more week of preseason games to go uh, two more weeks till the start of the season. So stick with us here as we uh, work through all of that. Uh, I want to change pages here though, Coop. I want to take a look at, uh, some interesting things that you found, you know, we, you just recently did a, a monkey knife fight article for fantasy alarm regarding overs and unders. And uh, we really wanted to focus on the wide receiver position here. Cause you found some, some interesting things between you know, our fan jackson projections, ADPs um, that players are going at and uh, their Vegas uh, yardage totals. Why don't you go a little bit of uh, talk a little bit about that and, and things that you've noticed. Yeah. So I tweeted this out, uh, you know, I tweeted something out briefly, just, I took a I took all the FanDuel over unders for wide receivers and then I took all the ADP from our composite ADP and I lined them all up and I color coded them so you can kind of it would jump out to you. And when you look at the picture, I mean, you've got it in front of you right now, John. I mean, like you see some of these these discrepancies between what the fantasy industry thinks and what the the you know FanDuel is saying these over unders are. 
I mean, one of the first ones that jumps out to me is uh, DJ Moore, where you look at this list and he's, you know, not even a top 12 wide receiver, but in terms of over-unders, I think he has the seventh highest 12, uh, you know, 1,225 yards. You know, they have him 200 more yards than Julio Jones, Mike Evans, CD Lamb, Keenan Allen. 200, they have him having almost 200 more yards than Keenan Allen. So, I mean, what, what do you, where, how do you arbitrage this? I mean, is it bet the under? Is it, should DJ Moore be drafted higher? How do you feel uh, about that? I, I mean, like for me, I, I, I would go the under here on DJ Moore for looking at, you know, the yardage because Christian McCaffrey's back. You know, and last year, you know, I, I don't think it's difficult to to argue that if McCaffrey was healthy for the full season, the receiving yardage for those guys probably wouldn't have been as high. They would have ran the ball a lot more than they would have instead of with Mike Davis there. And they probably would have thrown the football to the running back a lot more than they did with Mike Davis there. And that would have probably then obviously taken away from Anderson, Samuel, or more here. <clears throat> so for me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go way under uh on the 1225 to me that just seems low with the thousand yard running back uh thousand yard receiving running back um back in the mix there so um under for me and i haven't drafted too much of him either uh anyways a, a number that's that i think is low that i would go the over on is tyler lockett now again maybe a little bit of a bias here because i've been very high on seattle um this season i i think russell wilson has the potential to be the top quarterback uh, this season, which I know has been a, a bold take considered by some, but I mean, you look at the way he started last year, there's been talk that they're going to try to adjust their game plan to be less predictable. You're seeing reports throughout camp that they're working with DK Metcalf to be more than just a downfield route runner, you know, like get him out there in, in different situations to throw and, and help Wilson here. Um, so I look at Tyler Lockett and see that his yardage total uh, it's currently sitting at 975. Now they're playing an extra game this season. He's gone over a thousand yards in each of the last two. So they're downgrading his yardage, despite there being an extra game to be played. And I just don't understand it. I, I think Tyler Lockett is, is, is a lock. No, no playing words there for over a thousand <laughs> yards. Um, he had a hundred catches last year. And this is a guy despite being injured and dealing with injuries also doesn't miss games, right? Like, like he is, he, he you, you think of Tyler Lockett as an injury prone player. He just plays through them. Now that can be a detriment because he's out there, not at a hundred percent, but he doesn't come off the field. That was crazy to me to see that because we were talking about that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Tyler Lockett's injury prone. Then I looked it up. He's missed one game in his career. You know, and like it wasn't like you think about the game. I think it was 2019 where he got hurt in the game and he went directly to the hospital during okay. the game. Right. He didn't miss a single game in 2019. So he came back and played. You know, he, he he's also been a guy that will go out and do punt returns or go out and do kickoff returns. Like even, you know, as recently as last year, he would go out and do a couple of those. Like he just, you know, then that's why those guys love him over there. And if you. I mean, for me, when you look at the consolidation of snap share and target share, it's the same exact situation that we have in places like Minnesota and Tennessee, where there's two guys, two wide receivers that are probably going to play nearly, you know, a 100% route participation. Adam Thielen had a 100% route participation last year, and Tyler Lockett was top uh, five in it, you know. Um, so 
I don't see why Thielen would be that much higher than Lockett when they're in such a similar boat in terms of target share. Um, you know, and Lockett's younger, and he's had multiple thousand-yard seasons. So I'm with you on that's an easy slam on the over, and th- that number will probably go up. So get in there now while you yeah, can. Yeah, it should go up. It's only minus 115 right now. So that was the one that, that stuck out to me. I'll say quickly, Kudol, the other one that I think is far too low, and Vegas agrees with me that it's too low given the odds, but CeeDee Lamb is sitting there at 1,050 uh, for his yardage total. Um, this is a guy that's going in the third round of drafts. Uh, Dak Prescott's passing yardage troll in Vegas is about 4,800 yards, but Vegas has the over 1,050 at minus 140. And you and I were talking about this. If you're going to put a minus 140 number on the over, why not just move the number, right? Because like, right. It, it seems pretty obvious that over 1,000 yards is a lock here. Feels like a lock, all good health considerations here for City Lamb. Yeah, I mean, if you think so, I mean, you can go to FanDuel, which has 1,050 yards uh, minus 112. So I'd rather do If that's the case, so DraftKings Sportsbook has that at minus 140. If you're telling me that FanDuel Sportsbook has it at minus 112 at the over, you you bet that all day. That's yeah. that, that's that's an incredible difference between. I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, 1,050. So for me, the original concern was that last year Lamb was the odd man out in two wide sets. You know, he played 94% of his snaps in the slot, only 64% of the overall snaps. So he was coming out for the two wide. But now we're seeing already, uh, you know, they basically, both Mike McCarthy and Michael Gallup came out and said that Michael Gallup is learning how to play the slot. To me, that at least indicates that Lamb is going to be playing outside some. Last year he played none, right? 94%. That's damn near none, right? So, if they're at least going to mix and match the outside guys, now it's not a 64% snap share. It's at least 80 or so. Uh, if it's a true switch where Gallup's the guy in the slot coming out in two wide sets, now you have that Chris Godwin situation where, uh, you know, once DJX was gone, Chris Godwin went through the roof. So I think FanDuel might be thinking that the tr- he might truly might not be unlocked until next year when Gallup is gone. But everything we're seeing indicates that he's now at least become the second wide receiver on that team. And if they're going to set Dax over under where it's at, which is insane, nearly 5,000 yards, right. you, know, Lamb, you know, Lamb has to be up. Uh, let me throw – so, uh, yeah, I mean, the Lamb over under, if you believe in Lamb, and if you believe in Lamb's, uh, and most importantly, his ADP, which is, you know, he's going now at wide receiver 12. He's now a wide receiver one as of this week in best ball tens from what I saw. Yeah. So, you know, if you believe in that, it's, there, there ain't no wide receiver ones. Every wide receiver one, since I've been playing fantasy football, I went back and looked the last 20 years has gotten a hundred targets or more. And the vast majority of them get a thousand yards. So if he doesn't get a thousand yards, if he doesn't get a hundred targets, then something, that's, something went wrong. Right. You know, Ben that, DiNucci was the quarterback, you know, <laughs> right. that, I mean, that, that pick tanks your team. You know? Right. Uh, so the very last one on these, you know, I know we, we got to move on here, but I did want to talk about one of the glaring ones that a lot of it, I tweeted this. And this is the one that bothered people the most when I tweeted it out was that, uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk on this list is set at only 825 yards in a 17 game season. So when you look at that team and you look at the over unders, they have George Kittle at 1100 yards over under and they have Brandon Ayuk at 825 and this this is the most alarming part. They have Debo Samuel at 875 
and a site like DraftKings has Devo at 900. So basically, and I looked at every one of these sites just because I was like, you know what, this maybe maybe there's another site that agrees with the industry. DraftKings, Caesar Sportsbook, FanDuel, BetMGM, and PointsBet. I could not find one site that had Brandon Ayuk with a higher over/under yardage total than Debo Samuel, and neither were anywhere close. To George Kittle. So those sites are telling us that their projections, and we're talking about, you know, fancy is all fun and games, but these sports books, all these people have their livelihoods riding on being right. Like if you're the projectionist, that's your one job. And, you know, you're talking about millions of dollars that are either coming in or going out based on what you're doing. All these sites have uh, George Kittle as the top target. Brandon Ayuk is the second leading receiver in yard. Oh, sorry. George Kittle top Debo Samuel as the second leading receiver, and then Brandon Ayuk as the third receiver, which that does not jive with his ADP. How do you feel about that in Pippa? Yeah, I mean, listen, I've been out on Brandon Ayuk uh, pretty much all offseason, and I actually shared this in a tweet with you and Howard Bender the other day. Um, when you're looking at the four-game sample size, all right, sample size, people can come at me with their pitchforks. That's fine. When Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle were all healthy last season together, Brandon Ayuk averaged 3.3 catchers on 5.3 targets for 47 yards. That that is awful. <laughs> you know that is, good that, God. is that is not very good. That that is below not very good. That's seven fantasy points in a PPR league. You no, you don't you don't want that. Debo Samuel pretty much matched him. He had four catches on five and a half targets for 46 yards. So a little bit better, almost nine fantasy points in a full PPR. And then George Kittle averaged eight catches on 10 targets for 98 yards in the four games that those four were on the field together. It's very clear that George Kittle is the number one receiver on this team. He deserves to be where he's going in drafts. That's fine. The guy had 1,300 yards a couple seasons ago. He's the primary target, number one guy. So now you're talking about drafting the number two receiver potentially on a run first team in San Francisco and Brandon Ayuk. And what round did you say? Five? Something like that? Four? Uh, like, yeah, his you know. uh, his ADP is all over the map. But uh, the last the ADP that we had for him was uh, 65th overall, right, right after. So, round, so, so about round five, round six. Round five, six, yeah. Right, I'm, not right drafting, between... I'm not drafting a number two receiver on a team in round five, round six that has 800 yard upside, maybe. Something like that. Like, that's not good. That There's... Uh, unless Debo Samuel goes down, which I, I saw the other day, he left the field at practice due to injury, and he definitely has extensive injury history there. To that point, he's still competing for number two targets, uh, you know, on that team. I, I would rather either get Debo going three or four rounds later, or get Kittle there. Ayuk is too high for the production that he is going to be slated to get. I mean, yeah, like just just to give you guys an example, it goes, you know, pick fifty six. Adam Thielen, 1,000 yards. These are the over-unders. 56, 1,000. 57, Lockett, 975. And we already said we think that's, that's low. 58 is the next ADP. Deontay Johnson, 950. Then you have Brandon Ayuk right after him, six, uh, 65, 825. So it goes, one. if you're looking at just the ADP lineup, 1,000, 975, 950. Drops all the way to 825. And then after that, you have... Jamar Chase and T. Higgins pick 66 and 68 right after Ayuk. Both those guys are right around 1,000. You know, Chase Claypool pick 75, 10 picks later, 
over 900 yards over under Robbie Anderson over 900 Debo Samuel 875 and then after that you get down to like Tyler Boyd Will Fuller Brandon Cooks these guys are all have the same over unders as Ayuk they're going some of them going 40 picks later so you know if you believe in Vegas you know in Vegas you know they make money they the only time they've ever lost money on the Super Bowl was when the uh Giants beat the Patriots when he who must not be named caught that ball on his helmet. And, uh, you know, when I look at these, I mean, it's just either the industry wrong is wrong, the fantasy industry or the books are wrong. And I honestly, I trust the books. Yeah. The books are, are generally on point. There's, there's definitely a couple of numbers there that I found uh, to be low. It was almost as, as if they didn't continue to like take into account the extra game uh, played. I did a whole props pick article over on a wager alarm. It was for prize picks. Um, should definitely, you know, take a look and check out prize picks if you haven't already. Uh, but, you know, a bunch of over-under futures. Uh, uh, Coop did a monkey knife fight article as well uh, for some season-long futures bets. So you can certainly uh, check that those two partners, affiliates that we have out there as well. You can get deposit match bonuses. You can get a free play over a monkey knife fight if you sign up using our code alarm. So um, check out Fantasy Alarm and Wager Alarm. Articles are over there. You can check them out. Get our, our future picks uh, going into the NFL season. We'll have a lot more of those uh, in the coming weeks as well. Coop, before we wrap this one up, any final thoughts here for everybody? No, you pretty much nailed it, man. Fantasy Alarm, we have content every single day. So make sure you're staying tuned, not just for me, because I just write articles when it when it strikes me and when I think that it's important or when uh, the boss has asked me to write a Monkey Knife Fight article. But Colby Conway uh, is cranking out these player profiles every day. And if you're – I mean, I pop in there myself every day, and, and I learned something that I didn't even know, and I'm – you know, you and me are looking at this and talking this every day. So make sure that if you did buy the draft guide, which is a living guide, new stuff is always constantly popping out and being updated, that you're us- utilizing that to the fullest. Because, you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's if whenever you went on it last, there's at least 20 more articles on there now. Howard you know? Bender has updated the cheat sheet 15 times over the last three days and everything that's gone out. So exactly. uh, at the very least, if you have the draft guide already, make sure you check out the ultimate cheat sheet, uh, rankings, tiers, draft grid, auction values, uh, player rankings, rookie rankings, like everything you need right there on the cheat sheet uh, to help you guys dominate your drafts there. But uh, for now, Andrew Cooper, John and Pemba here. We will catch you guys next week. 